Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 216. And in today's episode, uh, which I recorded yesterday, yesterday was Sunday and I had a little bit of time because I'm actually in the process of getting everything moved out. Uh, and so, but I had a little bit of time, <clears throat> so I recorded this whole thing. Only I forgot to plug in the microphone. So I gave this brilliant, brilliant speech uh, to nothing. And so, when, so today I have the microphone plugged in. Doing a little bit earlier in the day so I don't miss anything. So I hope I can recreate what I, what I had done yesterday. But what this is for is I've had, I had three uh, brown dogs that I trained, sisters, three sisters out of one litter that I had trained for all of this year. And they've all just gone home in the last couple weeks. And the owners want uh, to know how to keep things going. So I've had them for a long time. Some of them have titles. Uh, one doesn't. He didn't have an interest in that. Um, but they, they are pointing dogs, upland dogs. They handle land and water. They can do multiples. So they're very trained. They're not very skilled and seasoned at it, but they're very trained. And so they're taking them home. And these, I would say they're a fairly exuberant bunch. One in particular, very, very, very exuberant, which can be challenging and difficult to handle sometimes. And so I am going to just talk to those three groups of people about their dogs and what to do when you take these dogs home. And how to keep this going and, and you know what, what kind of things to do with them. So the assumption is, when I give this, is that these very trained dogs, everybody wants to keep them at that level and maybe even continue to improve and get them more skill and more experience. So how do you do that when you take a dog home? Um, it's the first time you've had a dog trained to that level. What are the things that you do? to keep it, keep it, the rust off, to keep them challenged. Dogs that have been at a professional trainer's, particularly for like this whole time, this whole year, um, are used to working almost every day. Um, I don't work Sundays, but uh, every, unless I was traveling, it was six days a week. And so they're used to being, um, feeling very functional and having a job every day. And also to be somewhat challenged most of the time it's just like if you go to school, you don't want to just review the same math problems, you know, every time. It, it pretty soon it becomes so boring, you don't even pay any attention, and you lose your skill. So it's just as if you were going to school, you want to constantly go into new territory and learn more and be challenged more in the way you apply the stuff you're learning. And so dogs need that too. And it's not as hard as it seems. It's just that when you don't know, you don't know. So it just seems like all this this stuff you should be doing and you don't know what it is. So bear in mind that one, some sort of, some sort of rhythm and, and structure in their day. Now it doesn't have to be like it is at a training kennel where they get up pretty much the same time every day. And they, once they get to the point where they're loading up, they load up and then they, it doesn't have to be so rigid and so structured as it is in a professional place. But some of that structure is always good for a dog that has been existing in that. 
And that is, you know, they tend they sleep in the same place and they get up the same time and you air them in the way you do. And, and then in the morning before you go to work or you go take the kids somewhere, um, you do, you know, your little half hour thing with your dog. So some kind of structure it doesn't have to be, be every single day exactly the same, but that's very helpful with all dogs. Just like it is with kids, you know, when there's a structure and things are known, then they really know how to participate and engage in that. Then when everything's a new day and you never have any idea. So planning that to some degree. So the things that you want to do with these dogs is one, maintain the skill sets that they have. What For one, maintain their skill sets all without born into death. Just put yourself in their shoes. When you went to school, it ne it was really nice if it was interesting, if there was some variety, if things changed, um, instead of just going through the motions of things. So you want to keep their skill sets going. You want to keep them interested and motivated at the same time, and particularly with these this these dogs. The and I'll talk about their skill set in a second. But what you want to do is is um sorry about that just had the computer just shut off a little bit on me apologize for that deal so you want to maintain the skill set you also want to address their mindset these three dogs have let's just call it very very active minds very active minds and ADHD to a degree, especially the one that we got one on one big end of, end of that spectrum with a lot of ADHD. So that is something you have to deal with, understand and incorporate into the actions that you take. So when you have dogs that are mentally very active and one of the first signs of that is that they're physically very active, that goes with how their brain is. I did a whole podcast on that. When that happens, that's what you have to deal with. So you don't deal with uh, an ADHD dog by frenetic, wild, crazy activity, nor is, well, let's just run them to death. That is not the answer. You may tire them out a bit, but basically you're just making them stronger and stronger in their, in their wild mindness. The way that you address that is by, by, shrinking everything to just the activity between the two of you and requiring that they stop and focus. And yet, and I can tell you for a fact, all three of these dogs, including the one that's very, very, very ADHD, that can be done. So before you get into any of the activities I'm going to talk about, I'll just talk about for all of them, for all three of them, you want to do set up things in the beginning, like, okay, we're going to walk out onto the front porch or the the back step or into the yard or something and I'm going to put you on a sit and you're going to stay there and I'm going to go over here and pull these weeds or move these rocks or you know wash the back quarter panel of the car you're going to do something and they're going to sit there now in the beginning when they don't know you and your expectations they're going to sit there and then they're going to get up and go off because this is boring so you do things like this way clip them to the fence clip them to something so that they can't get up and walk away that they have to stay right there in other words begin to get an understanding between the two of you that they have to listen and then they have to do something even if it's boring 
so they can just sit there while you wash the car. And then let them off and go ahead and do your work. But I would do things, and having had them all this time, I did do things like this, where I taught them, you just sit there. I'd go plant water blinds in the beginning when I'd let them watch, and they'd have to sit on one part of the pond, and I'd walk all over and put bumpers down and stuff, and they had to stay in that one place, and they would. So when their minds can do that, can gather up and stay on something, now you're getting where you can make progress in the other things that you do. So find places in the house where you do that. And again, help yourself in the beginning, starting out by clipping them to the couch, clip them to the fence, clip them to the gate, clip them to something. I would suggest not ever clipping them to something that could become a moving vehicle. I never clip dogs onto my trailer or anything as a safety thing. But make sure that you start to get into their head and teach them. Sometimes you got to just focus and calm down. So that's, I would do that with those guys. You know, when you can't do anything else and you're just in the living room in the evening, put them in somewhere and they got to stay right there. But it's because of the mental, making them focus mentally. So let's talk about their skill sets. Let's first talk about the upland stuff. So the skill set that they have is they, they know how to hunt. Now, they know how to be trained in hunting and to do uh, training in that stuff. They don't know how to hunt a wild pheasant or a grouse in the mountains of Montana, um, prairie chick. They don't know anything about that stuff. They know about looking for birds and using their senses and using the terrain and using the wind. So whatever kind of hunting you are doing, they are going to need to learn that. But the skills that they have going into that is they know they have to stay in gun range. Now, granted, yes, they're pointers, but they are not seasoned, experienced pointers. They are just trained. So I'm not going to let them go out 250 yards and eventually get out there. I'm just not going to do that yet until we really have a good understanding. So they stay in gun range. They need to go the direction you're going. They need to use the wind in terms of quartering. Do they everybody? Does my dog quarter? Well, quartering is a geometric uh, motion. And I, they're not taught geometric motion. They are taught to go and use the wind. So if you're going directly into the wind, they're going to look do what appears to be quartering because it's crossing a lot of the vectors of wind where you gather the most information. Crossing the wind is where you gather the most uh, olfactory information. So when when you're going, let's say, that's going into the wind, when you go crosswind, then they're going to do more of a looping thing in front of you because they're going to want to go across the wind to pick up the most information. So their movement is going to be oriented to the direction you're going and the way the wind is. So pay attention to that. You can use a hup or tweet tweet. Some places you aren't going to want to use whistles. You'll drive every bird in the county out, but you can use a real quiet hup. That means change your direction or far enough. You can enforce that if they're ignoring you for any reason, which uh, one of them has a little tendency toward that. Um, you can reinforce it, a hop or the tweet tweet with a nick on the collar. If you keep having to remind them to stay with you or to stay closer, you've got to apply some pressure when you communicate with them so that they start taking the responsibility themselves to keep themselves in range because they know that they are to do that. The other thing is they will not chase. They're all de-chased. So if a bird flies, I don't care if it's a meadowlark or a hen pheasant or whatever it is, they aren't going to go after it. So keep that going. 
there's no place you want him to chase a bird. There is no place. If you've wounded a bird and it's going to sail a little ways and you want him to go after it, then send them. But it's your choice, not theirs, on which, which birds they might pursue. So just remember, those are the things to do. So knowing that, you just maintain that going into the field. So one of the good things to do before you go actually into the bird field is go practice moving through a field. Get the feel of how they move. Get the feel of that hop or that tweet-tweet in changing their inertia, their direction. Get comfortable with that. Every now and then call them to you. They must come 100% of the time. And that's, that's about as complicated as it gets. You just hold that standard to their behavior and keep it going. I will say, if you are hunting, these guys all know to be steady in the upland field. You've got the sit whistle. You've got wool, but I'd say the sit whistle really is, is something that you, they would pay more attention with you. So whenever a bird comes up or the gun goes off, you can enforce that stability by blowing a sit whistle or enforcing and enforcing it with a nick on the collar so that when a bird goes up, they stop. Now, if they sit down or stand in a pointing position, I don't care. They just can't go. And so if you maintain that now when they're young and they left the trainers and they're going to go find out if the sta same standards apply at home, that's the time that you can start using that sit whistle to make sure they're steady until the bird is dropped and you're comfortable with them doing the retrieve. If you need to send them early, then send them early. But that steadiness is nothing, you will never regret that. Never, ever. Also, do not hunt these brand new guys with other dogs. They have never hunted with another dog in their life in training because in training, they're learning all the stuff that I want. They're learning to be with, with us, with me and the gunners and all that. Another dog, there's no context for that. So let you and the dog get very connected long before you bring in other dogs. And when you have a pointing dog, and then there's other dogs, maybe not as good a pointers or maybe flushers. You can depoint your dog in a one hunt, in one day, um, which I don't know why anyone would want to do that because the pointers are really nice. So don't hunt them this season. I would just say this season, don't hunt them with other dogs. No matter how socially uh, tempting that might be to you with your buddies, you know, go shoot for your buddy's dogs. Have them come shoot for you. You operate your dog. Let them see how cool it is. But, uh, don't, don't, don't introduce the other dogs until next season when they really know their business. So that's the upland stuff. It's that simple. The, uh, the retriever stuff. You got two, two things here. One is just a direct retrieve. So they'll retrieve birds 10 yards or 400 yards away from you. They, they have never been taught a distance. They just go where the bird is, long or short, whatever it is. You want to keep the ethics of the retrieve up. And by that, I mean, when, when, the, now this is their job, right? This is why you got this dog. This is why you paid money to have them trained and all this. This is their job. And part of it is they need to be focused on where birds go down. Because when you're hunting in some gnarly places, whether you got river or cattails or deep cover or hard stuff, you need a dog to be very intently focused on where that bird went down. And certainly those that are going to compete really want them focused on where the bird's going down. So we need the fundamental ethics of retrieving worked on before you do any trick hard stuff, which means all three of these are left-sided dogs. They sit down on your left side. They don't move again. 
whether you throw something out there or whether someone is throwing something for you out there, they don't move. So you, with that, that's not a sit, 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 sit. We're not constantly reminding them. We sit. That's it. That has to count. That's another reason to do all that other work. You can reinforce it with a pop on the bottom with a, the wiffle thing or the uh, healing stick or a nick on the collar. You reinforce sit. Tell them that. Don't move. Don't let them break and call them back. Because just because you can call them back just means you can call them back. It doesn't mean they're going to get they're going to get steadier by that. Don't let them break. So whenever somebody's throwing something or you're throwing something, keep your eye on the dog to keep their bottom down and keep them from moving. That's how they're trained. Keep it going. No downsides to that. Reinforce it with a nick if you have to. But teach them. Can't go. When you send them on a marked retrieve, on a retrieve where they saw something go down, you send them on their name. That means you saw it, you go hunt it up. I'm not going to have to help you. Now, yes, they'll handle, but, but we don't want to handle on marks. We want the dog to, to be diligent and stay on it and stay on it. So you're going to send them on their name. However, when you do the first thing out of your mouth after something's gone down, whether it's a shot bird or whether you're throwing bumpers and practicing, don't have it be that you send them. Say something else. Say sit. When we're out in the upland field with these guys and somebody shoots and drops a bird, I'll always say, that was a good shot. Nice. I say things that are not sending the dog. Because if the first thing out of your mouth is sending the dog, then they're going to go on the first sound out of your mouth. And it may not be that you want them to go yet. So make sure you practice that, that they wait to hear their name and then they go get it. Then when they get it, they come back, wheel around on your left side, sitting squarely with you, their hips and your hips facing the same direction. And they sit down and you don't have to be in a hurry to grab that bird or bumper out of their mouth, right? Make them wait. When you take whatever is in their mouth out of their mouth, keep them seated. Just because you take it out of their mouth doesn't mean, done, just run around. They have to stay there. Maybe there's another retrieve. Maybe they're just going to wait now for the next throw or the next shot bird. Keep them seated. Just take it out of their mouth. Do something with it. Keep them right there. So that kind of focused control, it's what they're used to. Keep that going. So before you start anything more dramatic, get perfect ethics of the, for the retrieve. They sit there. They wait until they hear their name, they go get it, they come back and sit squarely with you. All of this stuff that I'm, I'm talking about requires very good obedience. So in the beginning here, if most days you could go out and do two or three minutes of obedience, not very much, 10, I, everyone always says 10 or 15 minutes of obedience. Oh my gosh, you're both going to be in a coma and you can't demand that they stay focused to, on a perfect level for that long. But go do basic obedience. I think I've shown it to all of you. They're at your left side. They always have to face the direction you're facing. They always have to be with you. If they come back, they have to sit down. And so when you do this, always have the collar on, not because you're using it, but because it's part of the uniform. And then have a choke chain with a little tab on it. And when you call them to you and tell them to heal, you can grab that tab and assure that when they do come in and sit down, it's correct. If you have, to, if they come in and sit down crooked and then you tell them heal or hear and get them in, you're doing all the work and you're teaching nothing. So use that to make sure that they do the right thing the first time. 
and do it with one word commands, not a repeated command. That's just a wishful thinking. Oh, come here, here, heal, heal, sit, sit. Don't, don't do that stuff. Just tell them to heal and then make sure they do it. And that's what that little tab is for. So do your basic obedience every day and then utilize your basic obedience on all this work that I'm going to be talking about. And one of it is, is when you're doing the one time is when you're doing the retrieves. Come in, sit straight, look out, wait for the next thing. Don't get up until I tell you that we're done. Then you can do, when you can do a single retrieve, you can practice doubles or even triples. But remember this, these dogs are trained that whatever direction they're facing, that's where they're going to go. So if you're doing just a single retrieve, they're sitting there facing where the bird or the bumper is going to go down. Not the guy throwing it, or they're facing where that's going to go. And then it gets thrown, and then you don't say their name right off. You can say sit or whatever. And then send them exactly straight. This is going, this is very useful in competition, and it's very useful if they know that the direction you have them pointed, that's where the, the bird is. Very, so when we do a double, and we're going to throw one to the left, and then we're going to throw the last bird down is going to be, you're going to throw it in front of where they're facing. I do not have dogs move around on the line. I don't like any more complication than I have to have. So when I do a double, they're going to be facing. The, they always retrieve the last bird down. Almost always. That, that's, how they're, that's what they're accustomed to. They watch birds go down, and the last one's down that goes down, if they're doing a double or a triple, that's where they're going to go. So have them face where the last, if you're throwing two, throw one over to your left, and then throw one in front of them. They're faced that way. Put your hand down, not in front of their face, but sort of more of a presence above and just a little bit out front. So they know this is the one we're going to. And you send them. Then when they're coming back with that one, you turn and face where the first one, the memory bird or bumper was, was thrown. You, so they line up perfectly straight with you. And now they are facing the memory bird. So they know, here's where I'm going. So it's, this is where your obedience comes in big time. So let them face, they're going to, they're going, never have them facing west and try to send them south. All right, they're they face them where they're going to go. That way you build up trust and confidence. They believe in what you're saying and doing because you're consistent and it always means the same thing. So that's on your retrieves. And then when you're out, I don't care if you're duck hunting, goose hunting, they're in a lay down blind, they're whatever it is. It's the same principles. You get wherever I need you to be. You stay there. Clip them in the beginning if you're doing any of that so they never get to break on you. Prevent problems from happening. That's, a, that's the key is don't let stuff happen and then go, what do I do when they break on me? And, you know, because it's like, get them a different handler. <laughs> don't let them do it. So clip them down if you're actually out, you know, in a blind or whatever so that they never learn to break. And then they wait, they watch, they've learned to focus, and they know it's their job to go find it. So that is how your retrieves are. They come back. I don't care if they got a live pheasant in their mouth. They sit down and wait for you to take it. They can't set it down or play with it or anything. These dogs all have nice soft mouths. And then take it and make sure they stay seated and don't do anything crazy. Hunting or practicing bumpers out back. That's, that's the thing to do on that. Now the blind retrieves. These guys also run blinds and land in water. 
You send a dog on a marked retrieve. That is a retrieve that they saw on their name. That means you go find it, hunt it up, come back. If you're hunting and you shot a bird out one direction and your buddy shot the one that swung around behind you and dropped it behind you and your dog didn't see it, that's a blind retrieve. It's a retrieve the dog did not see, land or water. So when you send a dog on a blind retrieve, you don't send them on their name because that cues, hey, go get it. You send them and we've all, you guys have seen me and we've worked on it, on the word back. You face them where it is, or the best you can, we think where, where you think it is. You face them that direction. They are cued with dead bird. And you don't say dead bird five times, right? <laughs> We're not trying to gin them up and get excited by blabbering a lot. You face them first, use your obedience, face them the correct way. You put your hand down again, not in front of their face, but above and just a little bit in front. Say dead bird. When they're looking, when their head is roughly, when they're looking that way, uh, send them on back. Don't have to scream it. Don't have to have a certain tone. Just send them on back and they go. Then you have your whistle in your mouth. And when they get off track very much, stop them, cast them toward the bird, not back to the line they were on. That makes no sense to them at all because that's not at the bird. So every cast you give is literally a cast at the bird. And then they come back in and bring it to you. So before you do any blind retrieve type stuff, and I've shown all of you guys, I want you to practice lining drills. That's where the dog is, you go put five white bumpers out crosswise, maximum view, far enough apart that there's not confusion. As you get better at this, you can move them further back and closer together. Start on one side or the other. Don't randomly pick them. I don't find that useful. Start on either the left or the right. Pick up the left one on the most left. Send them that way. If they're confused looking at all of them, either you have them too close or just take a few steps closer toward the one that you want them to get. Just calmly say back. They get it. Come back. Then rotate when they, when they come back in. Just like with everything else, you're now facing the next bumper they're going to get. So now you develop trust between the lining stuff and them understanding exactly what you're communicating. Very important. As they get better at this, move them farther back, get them closer together. If you want more complication on this, I'll, I can film the 10-point drill with white and orange and show you how to do that thing. But that's a real good thing so that when you do have that dead bird out hunting, it's old hat. They're familiar. You've, they're conditioned to be lining up straight. You say back and they go. So that's very important. The other thing that you can do, and I've shown you guys this too, are the casting drills. So with a casting drill, and I don't do, man, if you get on YouTube where people have baseball diamonds and all kinds of trick hard stuff, I have found that that is not necessary on these guys. So I'll have four, say four uh, white bumpers. Put the dog in front of me, facing me. So the dog is facing me, just as it would be in a blind. And I'm 10, 15 feet away from it. Can't move, has to sit there squarely. And I will throw uh, two bumpers, one bumper on, the, on a right angle back. And I'm talking throwing it 20, 30 feet. That's it. And then throw one on the right angle back. And just, I know we're talking 10, 20 degrees, not very much. And I'll throw one left angle back, one more at the right angle back, one on the left. They have to face me. They're going to want one or the other. If they want the left angle back, then I'm going to cast them. 
with uh, a cast with my hand that's just a basically proportional to, to the angle the bumpers are and I'll practice them turning the correct direction and not and going back but at angle um, I never put bumpers directly behind them because there's no place when I'm running a blind that I'm going to stop a dog who's going exactly the right place I'll do that on pattern blinds when I'm teaching them to be handled but out there when you stop a dog you are telling them I'm going to change your direction so I don't ever have them right behind them. I have a, one a little on the right angle back, a little on the left angle back. And you condition them to taking the right cast every time. And then when that's comfortable, throw in a couple overs. And again, the overs are 20, 25 feet. Distance is not the goal here. Distance is not the goal. It is the conditioned response of turning the correct way when you give a cast. So when you work on this, and they got to come back. Let me make sure. So you cast them to the right angle back and they go get it. You receive them right where they took off. So you use your tweet or tell them sit. They sit right where they were before. Take the bumper out of their mouth. Toss it out of the whole picture behind you. And then continue to do your cast that way. So they're just in a seated position facing you. They go, they take the correct cast. Come back, sit in the same deal spot. You control that. Got to have good obedience to do this stuff and then continue to practice casting. So you do this until, I, and just for a couple minutes. More is not better. When, when they, you know, let's just say they have a hard time with the left back. So maybe do more of those. Um, leave the left over out. Just practice that left back till you get it. And then when you get it, throw a left over, but cast to a left back. Just get them where they take the cast and they understand it and they're relaxed. In the blinding and casting drills, no electricity. Have the collar on because it's the training uniform. No electricity. Every mistake here is going to be yours. You sent them wrong. You had them lined wrong. You didn't understand where they were looking. You know, they told you what they were going to do this cast, and you gave another one and let them get away with not doing the right one. All the mistakes here are going to be yours. So there's no place for enforcing or correction or anything. So it's just have their uniform on and do those things. Do the lining and casting before you start running blinds with them. So that there's a communication understood uh, between the two of you. Do not, when you have a dog that handles, it's like having a really nice toy. Because you can stop and cast a dog does not mean to enjoy it and do it a lot. Because it's just so cool. Because if you start... You know, if, if you start handling a dog because you can, then they quit taking responsibility for hunting stuff up on the retrieves, on the marked retrieves. You got to handle them on a blind because they don't know where they're going. But when it's a mark out there and they're getting lost and you can kind of handle them, oh, that just feels such a powerful, cool feeling. Don't do that. Handle them only if you absolutely have to. Because if you start handling a lot, then when they don't find it real soon, they just turn around and sit down and look at you. It's called a pop. Going, I don't know, help me. That, that is nothing you want. I mean, you'll fail in competitive things. Plus, that's a dog that gave up. And nobody wants that. So, basic obedience. Single commands. The only place electricity is used on these guys is on sit and hear. That's the only place. You can enforce hear. That's how they're de-chased. Right? That's how they're taught. You bring everything straight back to me. You can use it on sit. 
That's how they're, they, you get them to stop on a whistle or stay steady on a blind. That's really no other place. You might use it on heel, but I don't know these guys. You'd have to do that. But there's no other place. It is not a punishment. It's not something you use when you get angry or frustrated. And it's nothing that you ever use on a drill. Nothing. I don't care what anyone says. Don't ever do that. That's like slapping a kid when you're trying to tutor them in algebra problems and they don't get it. Slapping them doesn't make them get it better. You need to teach better. So all drills are teaching things and you don't use electricity in those. Drills are very, very good. So the things you can do, let's just say a week. One of the things that I think would be great is to practice going, walking out through an upland field, not hunting, just to get the, uh, the communication and the understanding about moving together so the music kind of plays, so the dog understands everything, so you're real comfortable. So while you're hunting, you're not trying to develop and establish that. Don't walk and stand. As soon as you go out in the upland field and just stand still, these dogs are going to be going, what? I must have missed something. What's wrong? And they're used to making progress through a field. Double back if you want to double check something. But they're used to flowing through a field, not standing. If you stand there, they're going to wonder what's going on. So practice that. Basic obedience. Heel means be at my left side. Here means come to me. Sit means sit. There's all kinds of varieties that got to be square with you. Usually you're basically rib to rib. If you step forward on them slightly so you're, you're shoulder to shoulder, you're going to be pushing them a little to the left. If you step back so you're hip to hip, you're pulling them a little to the right. Just psychologically. So get used to that. Figure that out with them. Um, so do your basic obedience. Practice your ethics of retrieving. Start with singles. Very few words. So they just do the right thing. Then before you, and practice doubles, you can even do triples. Vary the distance. If you throw 55, or let's say 55 feet, that's how far you throw. That's how far your dog will learn to go. So vary the distance. Add challenge to the simple marks that you're doing. Have somebody else go throw. If you don't have somebody else, put your dog on a sit. Walk out there 175 yards. Throw it. Come back and send them. There's all kinds of creative ways, but you don't want that dog ever conditioned to a certain distance because that will become their distance. Um, don't raise your voice. Tone of voice should just count. It, just, it should count. You should be able to say, hear, sit, and it means as much as if you screamed it, only you don't have to scream it. It's the enforcement that makes your tone of voice count. All right. So you can be calm and just enforce sit or hear. And then it will mean that calm voice carries a lot of weight with them. So frequent work if you can. Thinking is more important than wild, crazy exercise. If you only have time for one thing, make them do the thinking thing versus the running thing. Because that affects their mind most. So if you have any questions on more drills or more difficult stuff, glad to help you with that. But you want to do walking through the upland field. You want to do basic obedience. You want to practice always on the retrieves. Always invoke the steadiness. Um, and then once you do the lining and drills and all that kind of stuff, at casting drills, you can practice some starting to run some blind retrieves. Walk out with them. Toss one bumper over one part of the field, another and another. Never do just one blind if you're practicing blinds. Always do multiple so that they don't just learn you only do it once. <laughs> I always do three to five probably is what I do when I do it. they got to be far enough apart so they're distinctly different. 
in the beginning, walk out there. So they know they're out there somewhere. Then come back, sit facing exactly the correct direction. Tell them, dead bird, put your hand down, back, whistle in your mouth. All you do is enforce the sit. You do not ever use any pressure on casts. Ever, ever, ever. You don't, can't burn on a cast. That's just like hitting them with a log, right? Don't do that. That makes no sense to them. So that's, um, I hope this is helpful. Get hold of me with questions and stuff, but this is kind of what you got to do. Keep it balanced out. Don't just do a whole bunch of one thing and very little of the other. And the ball chasing and all that, I would just do away with it this season. Kids playing with them. These guys are, you know, they're kind of pros and they're athletes and they're, they're just ready to really start doing this stuff. So, you know, keep the games till they get just a little bit older, older and more seasoned. So good luck with the, uh, with the trio of terror. Uh, they're very good dogs, but they are a handful a little bit. So you've got your work cut out for you, but they will make you become very good dog people. Stay in touch. Um, I want to hear how you guys are doing, and I hope that, uh, that this is helpful. And I will be back for my next podcast next week.